Good morning. How are you today? Everybody blessed. So glad to see you today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We're in uh, wrapping up toward the end of a series eight weeks long called The Principle of the Path. Today is number seven. Uh, and I just want to say I'm excited to see a few faces who normally are in 1045 and coming to the nine to help us out because uh, the last few weeks we've had great crowds in nine o'clock and it's, it's growing in here as well as in the 1045. And so we are really excited about all that the Lord is doing. If you're a guest today, thank you for coming. Uh, there are a lot of great churches in Marion, West Memphis, and we are so appreciative of your taking the time to come and join us this morning in our worship together, the family of God here at Victory. Uh, our text is found in Micah chapter 4, and I'd like for if you would to stand with me one more time, please, and let's uh, find uh, a screen where it's comfortable for you to see and read along with me. This is Micah chapter 4, verse 2, Old Testament prophet, uh, lived about the same time as Isaiah. Okay, And so let's begin reading now. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His paths. Stop right there. Everybody say, Teach us His ways. Walk in His paths. Say it again. Teach us His ways. Walk in His paths. Okay, we'll get the last part of this right now. It says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law, read with me, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I have two verses in the New Testament that I want to grab this morning found in the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he's talking about a prayer that he has for those saints. This prayer is almost identical to the one that he prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15, 16, and 17. It has these same big concepts and you will see some words emboldened here now, I, those, that's my emphasis, okay? You won't find that standing out in the original text, but I want you to understand that's what we're going for today, to grab the attention to see what Paul is talking about. So let's read together. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see how those two scriptures that we read are directly related and tied to each other? When He teaches us His ways, we are established in the knowledge of His will, in spiritual wisdom and understanding, and then we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We walk in His paths, okay? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Father, thank You for the tremendous promise of the Word of God, that as we open it today, we ask You to let our hearts be synced up with You. Let them get in line, in alignment, in, in, in sync. Synchronize our spirits. Lord, to stand in agreement. Let the faith of the Lord arise in our hearts. I just acknowledge before you and before these people that I'm utterly dependent on you. And Jesus, I need you more today than I've ever needed you in my life. And I ask you for the strength, <clears throat> for the faith of the Lord to arise in my heart. Thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that destroys yokes of bondage in my life and in the lives of these people that are listening this morning. We will be so careful to say that it's nothing of us, it's not of our works, it's not of our righteousness, but it's all because of Jesus that we're alive. Amen. 
You, you woke us up from spiritual death and we opened our eyes and we saw you in a new way. Thank you for the kingdom of God that you're Lord of our lives right now. And we just ask you to move in this service. Holy Spirit, touch us and change us and transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. It's in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've loved this series and today we are pulling it up into a crescendo with a message called, Who's Got Your Ear? How many of you know it's important who you're listening to? Because you can hear all different kinds of voices and direction. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in the, the first book of Corinthians, and he says, uh, talking about the importance of the trumpet giving a certain sound so that the people know whether they're to go into battle or they're together together in assembly. And he talks about the importance of clarity and the word and the worship when the services are being conducted. He said there are multitudes of voices and none of them are without significance. There are lots of voices. We are being bombarded by social media, by cable news, by uh, newspapers, by the opinions of people around us that are political and philosophical and religious and spiritual and economic. And, and you can go on and on and on and on and on. And everybody has a solution. Everybody definitely has an opinion. Come on, let's look at your neighbor and say, everybody's got an opinion. Now, it's a little bit about what I'm going to talk about this morning because we're going to deal with the story of a young king who is inheriting the throne and he's in a predicament. He needs to have some wise counsel and he's going to hear it from different directions and different groups. And ultimately, he's going to be responsible for making the decision in the way he is going to advance the kingdom of Israel. Before we jump into that, there's a big idea that I want you to grab a hold of with me this morning, and this is it. There's the one thing that I want you to see. The big idea, read it out loud with me, please. There is something more important than being right, and that is making a right decision. Tell your neighbor right now, say, it's more important to make a right decision than it is to be right. One more time, everybody. There is something more important than being right, that is making a right decision decision. That means that I have to recognize as a leader that I am not self-contained in the sense of having um, all knowledge. Greek word epinosis in the sense of knowing all things the way God does. God is omnipotent. We are His creation. He is creator. There is this distinction and a separation between us in the, in, the, in the sense of there are some of God's attributes that He shares with us. His love, He's given us the ability to love. His peace, He's given us that ability to trust and experience the shalom of God. His, his kindness, His compassion. We could go on and on and on and talk about the creative abilities and skills of these phenomenal musicians that we saw this morning and these great teachers that are ministering to the children of this church today. People who are organizational that, are help, that helped you find a seed and that, that brewed great coffee today so that you could come in. We're so thankful for all of those giftings. And every one of those are to some degree a little snapshot of the Imago Day. God has shared a whole host of His attributes with us. We are creative in the same sense to some degree that He is creative because He has put that creative ability down on the inside of us. You have gifts that God has given to you that He intends for you to use personally and specifically uh, in your destiny. Now we're talking about something outside of salvation, outside of forgiveness and dying and going to heaven. We're talking about uh, the other aspect of the gospel that many times gets ignored. 
And that what it, that's what it means to follow Jesus and walk with Him on a daily basis to understand that the gospel covers every aspect of my life. Somebody say amen. And so today, as we launch into this, we're acknowledging that there are other attributes that make God distinct from us. Anything that's omni, we are not. He is, not, uh, he is omnipresent, we are not. I, I can only be one place at a time. Now, sometimes my wife thinks that I do have the ability to be a couple of places at, at once. And I really do try, because I love her indescribably and want to please her. And, uh, you know, sometimes we deal with various kinds of circumstances in where people sort of have an expectation on a leader to know everything. And, and I just want to acknowledge before you this morning, it's all about keeping it real here at Victory. Uh, he is God and I am not. And you're glad that you have a pastor that recognizes that. Come on, somebody say amen. And, and so when, when I realize I'm starting to talk about knowledge, I realize that mine is infinite. I mean, I mean mine is finite. It's limited. His is infinite. Okay. So this morning, as we talk about these distinctions, we are recognizing that in all of these areas, we are greatly limited. He is eternal. We're not. Okay. Uh, he, he is omniscient. He knows all things. We don't. Uh, he is all-powerful. We aren't. So all of these things that He is that we aren't, that's where we have to trust and rely upon Him. We have to call upon the Lord and trust in Him with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge Him and He will make our paths straight. Somebody say amen. So as we launch in today, I've got a story that I want to tell you and I want to remember, I want you to remind you that as we look at this story this morning found in 1 Kings chapter 12, there is something that is more important than being right and that is making a right decision. I have the story of a young king elect. He's the heir apparent to the throne. David has set his son Solomon on the throne and Solomon has reigned for 40 years and it's about the time that he is going to go and be with the fathers, as the scripture says, slept with, and that is laid down in death in celebration of a life. And Rehoboam is the heir apparent. He is the young son who is about to take leadership and authority. It's going to have the baton passed into his hand, the scepter to lead the kingdom of Israel is being passed into the hand of Rehoboam. And he's a young guy. He's something probably along the way has maybe slipped a little bit in some preparation. He's probably um, actually physically old enough to have the throne, but something in the way of not appreciating the wisdom of God in the same way that his dad did, didn't transfer. And I think it's probably obvious because of the wisdom that Solomon had as a young man seemed to get confused in this extremely syncretistic lifestyle of the blending of all of the false religions and false gods because of all the women that Solomon married. And there was no clear picture of understanding the wisdom of God, of understanding the knowledge of the will of the Lord and, and the understanding that comes. Those three things of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Those are three pillars that are critical. And so he, he takes the throne and... Um, he is visited immediately as soon as they have the coronation. We have Jeroboam who is a general in the army of Solomon that is at large. There was a big disagreement. I don't have time. I'm not going to take time to go back and tell the history of that. It's right there in 1 Kings if you'd like to check it. 
But he has been in hiding as a refugee in Egypt. And when Rehoboam comes to the throne, the people of Israel... Now remember, we have 12 tribes total, right? And so the northern tribes of Israel called Jeroboam and they sort of anoint him as a representative to go in before Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon. Rehoboam, now don't confuse them, names sound very similar. Jeroboam is the general. Rehoboam is Solomon's son who has just become king. So the northern tribes of Israel call for Jeroboam and say, we want you to go and stand before the king and ask him how he intends to rule this kingdom. They had just come out of a great period of advance. The the temple had been built under the leadership of Solomon and there were decades of sacrificial giving, uh, not only of, of money and finance and economically, but there had been great sacrifice in terms of all that it took to build the temple and to equip the temple. And the the period of Solomon's reign was one of the greatest glory in all of the history of Israel. But there was a lot of stress and energy and sacrificial giving that can just literally wear you out when you don't have a season of Sabbath, when you don't have an opportunity to sort of pull back and chill out a little bit and sort of regroup. And so the, the northern tribes sent Jeroboam, the general, to Rehoboam, the new king, and said, you know what, if, if you would just kind of sort of hold back a little bit and let us just kind of have a little bit of a, a sense of a break in this moment, we want to know exactly how you're going to lead us. Because your, your, your dad Solomon really did press four decades and on a continuous kind of way and just get a really good assessment of where the people are. Just, we'll be honest with you, we're worn out. And we need some Sabbath, we need some shalom, we need some peace And one thing that Rehoboam did have going for him was he said, let me sleep on this. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, you know what, let me pray about it. Let me just tell you right now, that's one of the greatest things you can do. Rather than trying to think fast on your feet or get up on your toes and make something up in that moment, one of the best things you can do is is say, give me a little bit of time. I need to seek the Lord. How many of you know it's never wrong to seek the Lord? Too many leaders sometimes have the unrealistic expectation of the people that because they are men of God or women of God and anointed to teach and preach that they have all answers or that they have some kind of unlimited knowledge. And I've seen too many guys in that moment when they're called to give an answer to someone, to, 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 to give some specific direction to a person who is needing guidance, Instead of saying, let's pray and seek the Lord and even take a few days to do it, sometimes they're just quick to make stuff up on the spot. And too many times it's just something that's coming out of their soul instead of a real sense of a spiritual direction. Come on, somebody. Can you say amen this morning? And so at least Rehoboam had the sense and maybe the dignity to be able to say, give me three days, which I think is interesting. Give me three days and come back and let me think about this, and then I'll give you an answer. And so in the three days, Jeroboam leaves. He goes back to speak with the people who had sent him as a representative, and Rehoboam gets busy. He gathers in all of the older men who have wisdom, who had been on the council, sort of the cabinet to his father Solomon. And all of these sages, all of these wise men came to Rehoboam and said, you know something, if you would just lighten up a little bit, these people would serve you. If you would serve them, they would be your servant and they would make this kingdom great. And it could be a great season of blessing and prosperity coming after the greatness of your father Solomon. And so Rehoboam sort of considers the council. He's questioning 
them and he's asking them and they're providing good counsel, good advice. You know, it's important who you get your advice from. Because there are a lot of opinions out there. And I want you to recognize this morning that everybody in the room has an opinion about multiple things. So the few people that are here in this room, we literally have hundreds, I would go ahead and say thousands of opinions just on this small group in the room because you've got an opinion about the current president. You've got an opinion about the recent election. You've got an opinion about Obamacare. You've got an opinion about the local government. You've got an opinion about victory. You've got an opinion about me you got an opinion about the worship set we sang this morning and whether or not I'm doing a good job preaching right now at this moment. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has lots of opinions. And you know, the law of supply and demand tells me that because everybody has so many, the supply is high and the demand's low. So most opinions have very little or no face value. Don't shout me down. And the thing that we have to realize is that there is two sides to this, when I should give my opinion and when I should receive an opinion. And opinions many times are there that are just sort of emotionally based and they are not even based in experience. And if someone doesn't have some experience to back up what they're speaking to, then they're just really just dispelling hot air. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So Solomon, not Solomon, Rehoboam has done a good thing by going to the older men and asking them, what do you think I should do? These were the men who didn't have anything to lose. They had already given their lives in service to the dad. They knew that their days were really up and they were probably to some degree flattered that they still had some degree of influence in the life of a potential new young king. And that was very smart of him. So he leaves the old men and then he goes and gathers around him all of his peers, those that are basically at the same stage of life that he is at. And he gathers with the young men and the young men basically give Rehoboam a totally different picture and an approach and a strategy and a direction to go in. And they basically said, no, 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 you don't listen to the counsel of these old guys. You go back out there and when Jeroboam shows back up in a couple of days... He said, you tell him that your little finger is thicker than your father's thigh. And you tell them, in other words, you've got to go out there and show them who you are and make them know that you're going to be the king. Make them know who is really in authority. Okay? You press this and you tell them, my father scourged you with whips, but I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. And so Rehoboam is hearing two entirely different directions about what he's supposed to do. Both of them are the potential of a path to take. It's a veritable why in the road. It's go this way and prove your power and who you are for the next generation. Or it's go this way and be one who serves the people and and potentially hear what the old men said, that they would rise up in love and serve you. And so Rehoboam is in this place of having to decide between two things. How many of you have ever been in a place where you're looking at the potential of a couple different directions and you have the power to make the choice? And if you have any sense, you know that it's a fearful place. Rehoboam, the Bible says, abandoned the counsel of the wise older men. And he took up the counsel of the young men. And let me just very briefly say that sometimes people in their age, uh, that is not necessarily an indication of how much wisdom they have. Sometimes there are some young people who are old souls who've immersed their lives already in the Word 
And they are in contact with the wisdom of God. And there are some old fools. Are you hearing me this morning? Come on. And what you have to be able to do is to be able to discern the difference. And don't you think for a second that I'm saying youth are always filled with passion and lacking knowledge and wisdom and old folks are always filled with wisdom and knowledge and lacking passion. That is a stereotypical uh, expectation and, and we don't want to think in those ways. Victory is all about building the family of God. We are reaching to the next generation but we want to bring the current and the previous generation with us so that we can build who you know is God into the younger ones. Come on somebody. And in a very typical way, I want the wisdom of the, of the aged, the elders, and I want the passion and the energy of the youth, and we want to be able to put those two streams together. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get together in the same room and arrive at an answer. And Rehoboam made the fatal mistake of listening to only the young people. And let me just say this. This is one of the things. Sometimes your own peer group are those that are easiest to talk to, but when we're really honest about it, they're ex- probably at about the exact same stage of life that you are, which means they don't really have any more wisdom than you have. Everybody in here needs an older friend. Everybody in here needs somebody that's probably at least 10, if not 20 years down the road ahead of you who's already been there, done that, got the t-shirt, blew it, messed up, got forgiveness, got restored, whatever needs to be said in terms of that, but has experienced life a little bit further down the road ahead of you. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm so grateful to have in my life this man sitting right here on the corner, Jerome, is my friend. And we sit down and talk and I say, what do you think about this? And he has my ear. He has my ear. Now let me just say this. I hear everybody in this church, but everybody doesn't have my ear in the same way. Jack Murphy is another one who has my ear. I'm, I'm, I care what everybody thinks, but if you guys, if, if I could just give you a week in the life of a pastor and let you follow me and let you see how many people give me calls and send me Facebook messages and tell me, Pastor, I think you should do. And if I listened to all of those, the church wouldn't have ceased, it would cease to have existed 20 years ago. Now, I'm not stepping on any toes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, Pastor, if you'd just do this this way. Do y'all still love me this morning? Now, see, when we try to keep it real, sometimes it means once in a while it's going to step on a few folks' toes. I, I, I consider your opinions, and I will hear them. And, and, and some folks who think we ought to do more of this particular way. Or, and what is, what is amazing to me, and I just scratch my head when people come to victory and love it because it's different, and then six months in say, when are you going to do what they do over there at that church? And I'm going, wait a minute, you came here knowing that our whole philosophy is different. We deliberately don't do it the same way every other church in town does. There's a whole host of choices if that's what you want. But we feel like that God has given us a different direction in how we do what we do here. I love you, but... Are you guys hearing me? So it's a whole different philosophy of ministry and the way we do. Just, just the fact that I'm standing up here talking like this, there's not another place in town where guys are this real. I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit over the edge, but how many of you know facts are facts? And there's the reason why we've thought through, and it doesn't mean we won't change, and we do hear and we listen and we pray and we seek the face of God and we get counsel. But this is where you need to, to really back up and go, When I'm trying to make a critical decision in my life, let's bump it to you and you're trying to decide whether or not you should take this career choice or you should 
do this big new business plan and it's going to take a capitalization of a lot of small business loans and all of these different things, then you want to be sure that you're listening to somebody who's got some experience in that area and not just somebody who's blowing hot air. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit. Because an opinion without any experience, is just, it's, it's, it's worthless. It's the supply is way bigger than the demand. And this is what I want you to see. As we review and rewind five things today, because you've gotten the lesson. Number one, let's go back and think. Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to make him king. Number one, position doesn't equal ability. Anytime I get advanced into something, I'm prayerful that I've had enough preparation to put me there. But when I start thinking too quickly that, hey, I got this, I'm already in trouble. I need, this is the reason, let me just tell you, some of you go, why does he every week get up there and at some point in his prayer, he's going to say, Father, I'm dependent on you, I need you. Number one, I'm going to tell you, I need to hear myself say that. I need to recognize, and I do it on purpose because I'm saying, God, I'm dependent on you. It's not on my ingenuity or my knowledge of the Bible or any ability to be able to preach and hold people uh, uh, in terms of some kind of mesmerized place of a story. Come on, somebody. But it's recognizing that no matter how great any of that is or how lacking it might be in any area, it's going to take the Spirit of God to transform a person's life. I recognize that. The Bible says in Proverbs 1 verse 5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. No matter how advanced you are, you still need the help and the assistance of somebody else around you. I'm thankful for my staff and for the team that the Lord has built here, just in the encouragement and the strength that's just been, just been coming in the last few days, just for some challenges that personally I have, just some health challenges and asking the Lord and seeking God for His blessing and His wisdom. And I am thrilled to be on team with every one of these folks. Number two, context is everything. Say that with me. Context is everything. Let's just face it. If you didn't have the backstory of Jeroboam visiting Rehoboam and saying, how are you going to deal with us? then it would be real easy to just throw out an opinion whether there's any experience to back it up or not. And context is everything. And what is about to happen in the story that I've just told you, Rehoboam makes the bad choice of taking the counsel of those that are his own peers in his own age group because they were power hungry. And he tells that to Jeroboam in the, in the closing of this section of this chapter. And Jeroboam goes back and tells the elders of Israel. And they basically said, we have no more stake in David. And they picked up their tents and left. And it's when the kingdom split of the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south. And we have Benjamin and Judah that are down around Jerusalem that are faithful to the Lord. And there never was a revival there, never, there was always an evil, wicked king that sat on the throne of Israel from that moment on. But down here where Rehoboam is with Judah and Benjamin, they have regular revival of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on their hearts and their lives. But still, Rehoboam made a bad decision and he caused the kingdom that was 12 tribes to be, to be divided into 10 to the north and 2 to the south. I wish I had time to sort of flesh that out 
because there were ten spies in Numbers 13 that gave an evil report. And there were two that remained faithful and said, sit down and shut up. We're well able to go in and possess the land. There are ten commandments that you cannot possibly keep. But there are two that Jesus summed it up in. He says, if you'll get my spirit in you and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, if you get love in you, then all those ten even cease to be an issue because you start living it all out of love. Come on, are you hearing me? And if I had another hour, I could preach and open up that whole ten and two relationship that is stamped on all the word. But we see ten northern tribes that rebel. But it was because of a decision that a young inexperienced, listening to his own peers, opinions of others around him made and the kingdom ended up being split apart. So context is everything. What's going on in the decision that you're having to make? Okay. He says, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore listen or lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. But he didn't listen. Listen to the Bible in Proverbs 24 verses 3 and 4. By wisdom... A house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Say that with me. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Same thing that we read in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. The knowledge of His will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. These are three things that are linked to the three offices of apostle, prophet, and teacher in the New Testament. The apostolic brings the wisdom of God. The prophetic brings the knowledge of God. The teacher brings the understanding of God. And and if we can say it this way, there are some questions in the decisions that you have to make that we have to answer. Knowledge about your situation and its context are the who, what, when, and where. Knowledge. A lot of folks have some knowledge, okay? But there's a huge distinction between knowledge and wisdom and understanding. You might have all the who, what, when, and where put down and nailed down and you, you've got your plan. But the whole issue is, do you have the wisdom of God operating? Because wisdom asks the question, why? What is the philosophy behind this? Why do you do this particular strategy that you have chosen, this particular plan. And then understanding is that prophetic insight where we can begin to ask the question, how? Okay, great. I've got the who, what, when, where. And I understand the why, but I need the how. God, how are you going to do what you're going to do? See, let me tell you something. I've got a vision of a new building sitting out there. And I met with an architect this last week. And we've sat down with our staff. And we're excited because we're dreaming big and we're, we're, we're trusting God saying, lead us and guide us, O Lord. But we're not just uh, looking at knowledge, but we're asking God for wisdom on why we do what we do and understanding on how we're going to do it so that it can be accomplished. Come on, somebody. And so we need all of those things. And you cannot arrive at all of those things without a little bit of spiritual maturity. One of the most difficult things sometimes in pastoring young men, and when I say young men, I don't necessarily mean... Uh, chronological age. But parenting teenagers is just like pastoring spiritual adolescents. Because when we're young and brand new and we're a newborn babe, we're just basically taking everything in. And we think, I remember one time where Drew looked at me and he was five. He said, Papa, you know Eversang. And just a few, just a decade later, 
the bottom dropped out of that. And he was no longer Papa, you know everything to Dad, I can't stand it. You think you know everything and I know what I know I'm supposed to do. And I just had to back up and go, okay, go ahead. Have it. Have it your way. Sometimes you have to give folks enough rope to... And there is, there's something that some, somewhere along the way, and he's 26 now, and we have an amazing relationship. I mean, he, 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 he calls me, and every time he's on the phone before he hangs up, he says, I love you. And his other buddies say, man, I wish I had a relationship with my dad the way you do with yours. And I'm thankful for that because we made it through those tough years. And, and, and the, the whole point is, is that it's like Mark Twain who said, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was the smartest man on the earth. When I was 16, he was the dumbest man. And it was just shocked me that in five years how much he had learned. <laughs> and, and still the same person, still the, still the same daddy always was. But something shifts in our perspective and our understanding when we are spiritually adolescent, when we are a teenager. And you know what happens with a teenager? They think they know a whole lot more than they really know. Same way in the church with spiritual adolescence. And John talks about it in his three books of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He talks about little children, young men, and fathers. And there are things that we, 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 we reach to and that we wrestle with with every one of those stages. And the challenge of a young man is that he really does have the beginnings of some great experience and maybe the understanding of his destiny. But sometimes he gets ahead of himself and he thinks he knows more than he really does. And we can be sophomoric. You know, you're not a freshman anymore. And you're certainly not a senior, but you're a sophomore. Sophomore, Sophia means wisdom. More means, comes from the word moron. It means fool. So a sophomore is a wise fool. If somebody's sophomore, they know just enough to get themselves in trouble. Oh, don't, don't shout me down now. How many of you know that, I'm, that I know what I'm talking about at this point? I got a little bit of gray, lived a little bit of time. And what we need to recognize is that that position doesn't always equal ability. And context is everything. And I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need knowledge in all of these areas. Somebody say amen. I'm going to finish. Number three, never make hasty decisions. Listen, he said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. And this is a good thing. I I remember um, growing up how before my Uncle Dewey would buy a new car, he would always say, let me go home and sleep on it. And he was in a little small town, Marktree, Arkansas, and everybody knew Dewey Morrison and knew that he would pay his bills. Matter of fact, he paid cash for every car he ever bought. And so they would always say, well, Mr. Dewey, just go ahead and take the car home with you. You know, that was pretty smart because they knew if, that he got it in his own driveway, he probably wouldn't bring it back in the morning. And, and the crazy thing is that he was just three blocks from the motor company, as Aunt Lucille and Uncle Dewey called it, uh, there the, behind the Oldsmobile Chevrolet place in Mark Tree. And they would always say, well, just go ahead and take it with you. Go home and sleep on it. How many of you know it's a good thing? Why, why is it good sometimes to go sleep on something before you pull the trigger? Because if you can get yourself a little bit distanced from the circumstance and outside of the emotional influence of a critical decision, then many times you can sleep and you can wake up and you can get a clear head and you can go, yes, this is the will of God for me. Or you can go, wait a minute, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't, something is not right. Something is just trump, troubling me up, up and down in my spirit and I don't need to go this direction. So it was a good thing that Rehoboam said, you know, man, just come back in three days. Listen to the word of the Lord in Proverbs 21. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. 
Don't make snap quick decisions. Get good godly counsel. Next verse says this in 19.2 of Proverbs. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. You'll get on the wrong path if you're hasty. Make the wrong turn off the interstate. Oh my goodness, how many times have I done that? Not going to chase that rabbit. Number four, I'm finishing. Seek counsel. Look at your neighbor and say, seek counsel. The Bible says Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. And then he took counsel with the young men, okay? Verse 20, it says, Listen to advice of Proverbs 19 and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. 1522, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So it's important to get somebody else's perspective and opinion. And not just somebody in your own peer group, but somebody who's already been there and done that. Somebody say amen. Number five, and I'm finished. All counsel isn't wise counsel. He ignored the wisdom of the older ones and he took the, wis- the, 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 the challenge of the young ones. And you know what happened? The kingdom gets split and the ten northerners leave and the two southerners are all that have remained. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Have you got anything out of this this morning? Two things. Two things I want you to remember and then we're going to pray. Two things. No one gets to the place where he no longer needs wise counsel. I need it. I still need it. Second thing, you will never reach your full potential without tapping into the wisdom of others. Now, Clint did not have any idea what I was going to preach on today. And just out of a heart, and I told him, I said, you just do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do in praying for Vicki and for Desiree. And he went to James 1 and he quoted so much on the wisdom of God. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, as he says, without measure. And you could just hear Clint's heart when he was leading us in worship this morning in crying out to God. And that's where we all need to be. And this is where we bring the gospel back to bear because it's in Jesus Christ that the wisdom of God has been made manifest in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I need the wisdom of the Lord. I need the wisdom of God worse than I need a whole bunch of loosey-goosey opinions. I need to hear from the Lord. But I also need to be aware that sometimes the Lord uses Patrick's voice to speak to me and confirm. Sometimes He'll use Geraldine's voice Maybe to gently rebuke. He'll use my wife's voice to encourage and to exhort and stir me up. But he'll also use her voice sometimes to correct and to instruct. And I need that. I need to be open. I need to be teachable. The mark of a teenager is that he won't listen. The mark of a spiritual adolescent is he thinks he doesn't need anybody else. He's got the world by the tail. He's immortal. He's Superman. He's bulletproof. And acknowledging the fact that I desperately need God in the middle of my weakness is the greatest thing that will keep me teachable. I am not immortal. I am not bulletproof. I am not Superman. I need Jesus more than I've ever needed Him before. I need my spiritual family. We need each other. Now with that, with that, I don't want anybody to go out of here and go, well, I guess I probably shouldn't share my opinion with Pastor Mike. That's not what I was saying. Now, what I was saying at all. You just weigh it. Just, just weigh it. Let's just be responsible. 
Let's not let any of our words fall to the ground. Let's not let them be in vain. But every idle word that we speak, the Bible says that we will be judged and condemned by them. It's what the Scripture says. We'll be justified by our words. We'll be condemned by our words. So it, it just puts a check on our heart. It's like the psalmist said, Lord, set a guard at my mouth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Bow your heads with me for a word of prayer this morning.